Good morning. You kind of sense in that uh, music and the lyrics the march of an army. It's uh, because this is the season of Lent and Jesus is marching toward Jerusalem. So the gospel readings on these Sundays are the outlying gospel stories as he gets close to Passion Week. And he purposefully, mar Luke chapter 9 says he set his face toward Jerusalem. And for weeks and weeks he's telling his disciples what's going to happen and how it's going to, his life is coming to an end on earth, but it's going to be the beginning of the plan of salvation for all people. I, uh, clicking through my phone looking for articles about the war, saw this picture and the article that went with it, and I thought this would be a, a, a match for our sermon today. This fella is leaving Poland to go back to Ukraine and he's saying goodbye to his wife. He's one of 44,000 people up to today that went the opposite direction of the 2.5 million refugees going back to Ukraine to fight for their country. Um, the article said one couple was on vacation when the war started and so they finished their vacation and they went to the border and she said goodbye to her husband and he went back into the country. Another one is an interview with a guy that is crying and he said, he said and the, inter, the, the American reporter said, are you afraid? He goes, of course I'm afraid, I'm, I'm scared to death that I have to go back and defend my people and take care of them. By the way, the couple, the, the, the couple that was on vacation, she decided then to go with him and go be as part of the relief effort in the hospitals and, and for aid. It just, the, this, is, this is a story, isn't it? I mean, this, this shakes me to the core because I, in my 59 years as an American citizen, my loyalty to that level for this country and my countrymen has never been tested like that. So I ask the question, could I do it? I'm 58, be 59 in about 10 days their cutoff in Ukraine is 60. One guy in this article said, the line here to get back into the country is moving kind of slow, they better hurry because I'm 59 going on 60, I won't get back. That's unconscionable loyalty and love in my book. I, I just, it challenges me to ask about, as a citizen of the United States, if I were tested to that point, what would I do? And I know if, if you're a thinking person, you get challenged too. But that's not deep enough today. This is Lent. This is Jesus. I said this was a good match. What Jesus did when, by going to Jerusalem, the feelings that you get provoked in you when you read an article like this about the Ukraine, for a Christian, as you're trying to understand and interpret everything and keep yourself Christ-centered in life, these are actually small examples of the large Christ and what he did for us. He went, when he went down to Jerusalem, he didn't go to just save a country. He didn't go where he might die. He went where he would die. He didn't go where he might suffer as he died. He went knowing he was going to be tortured. He said to his disciples, they're going to torture me and, and before they kill me. He, didn't, he, he knew exactly. It wasn't with wondering if they'd win a war. He knew he'd win the war by dying and losing. He wouldn't go in as a 
and be hailed during the whole process by half the crowd as a hero? The, the, the friends were struck with silence and sadness, and then there weren't many of them, and the rest all treated him as a reprobate, as a fool, as a false prophet. He was treated as the scum of the earth. These, these are the things that we as Christians hear all the time, and often it, we, we become a little bit numb to it, but my job to bring you the Christ this morning is to keep you from being numb to that and help you to embrace him and who he is and what he does for you. And so we go to Luke chapter 13 and we listen to a, a, a very brief conversation with some of his enemies called the Pharisees. They've made themselves his enemies and they, they challenge him with some, about another enemy named Herod. Herod had killed John the Baptist for confronting Herod about taking his brother's wife. Remember that? Then, when Jesus' popularity was growing through miracles, through feeding people, raising the dead, and preaching great sermons, Herod got afraid of Jesus, and he thought to himself, John the Baptist must have risen from the dead. So he had this fear and phobia because of his sin and guilt and shame internally, but he was still hardened in his unbelief and wanting to stay on the throne both literally and metaphorically the throne of his life so these pharisees what herod leaked out a threat that he would have henchmen find jesus and kill him and the pharisees used that to try to drive jesus to jerusalem where the sanhedrin their partners in crime were already starting to plot to kill jesus so when they warn Jesus in this little conversation, they're really not great friends. They're really just another interested party that wants to get Jesus. They're envious of his, his influence and they want to get him out. So here we go. Let's go. Uh, let's look in your folder or look on the screen. Caleb, go to the next slide. And uh, there's Jesus talking to them. Go to the next slide. And Jesus is bold. He's, it says, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and they said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else because Herod wants to kill you. Well, what's this place? It's, it's, a, it's a, a region on the east side of the Jordan River called Perea. And it's under Herod's jurisdiction. He's got henchmen there. Leave this place where you could be arrested by Herod's guys and you better go to another place safer. They're wanting to push him towards Jerusalem. Well, what did I tell you in the beginning of the sermon was in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has already set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he's on a mission to get to Jerusalem in his timing, the way the Father wants him to, and they're trying to dictate how and what he does because they have an agenda for his life. And he knows that all of these agendas are going to rendezvous in Jerusalem for his torture and his death. And he could stop it all by heading the other way be a refugee from his father's plan, but he doesn't. So let's read the next verse. Caleb put up the next slide. He replied, this is about Herod. This, by the way, one of the very few places where Jesus is, gets rather witty and sarcastic, not sinfully sarcastic. He replied, you go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, 
I must press on today and tomorrow and for the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Imagine what that sounded like in their ears. You go tell that fox. Probably the thought, thought about a fox is that they're cunning and deceitful. You go tell that Herod that's using deceitful threats to try to manipulate my life. I'm on my own agenda. I answer to a higher drumbeat. He uses the three days. That it's not about his death and resurrection. It's just about a metaphor about today I'm going to do this, tomorrow. He's, he's not trying to talk about real time, but about the purpose of his time. His purpose in his life is dictated by his Heavenly Father. Right now, today, tomorrow, I'm going to be doing these miracles or whatever, but there's a day coming, like the third day in my little illustration, that I'm going to be in Jerusalem and I'm going to die because no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. I won't be dying at Herod's jurisdiction. And by the way, if they did go tell Herod that, this is the Herod that got to see Jesus the night before he died, remember? So all of these words are meant to penetrate hard hearts like the hard heart of Herod or the hard heart of the Pharisees. When Jesus says, I know I'm going to die, I'm gonna, but I'm not going to die outside of Jerusalem, it's meant to penetrate their hearts because he's living by a higher purpose. And the purpose is to save his enemies just as much as to save you and me. Because in fact, if you're going to call anybody an enemy of the Christ, you have to include yourself. The Christian apostle later said in Romans 8, the sinful mind is enmity toward God. The same apostle said he came to die for sinners and his enemies in Romans chapter 5. Does this move you? It, it moves us to the level that we are consciously aware of our own need for a savior. And if we're numb to the story, and if it's sort of like a yawner, it's because somehow we've forgotten our need again. How serious our own sins are, how great our need is, if the biggest thing we needed was for Jesus to win a war between countries, then he would have done that. But the biggest thing we needed was for him to win a war against the justice of God on your soul. He came to save all of humanity's souls. So he's this one man. The whole war is on his shoulders. It's all over the pages of the prophetic scriptures that the God was going to save us through his son. And, and he was going to come by his own flesh and blood and save all of humanity and this is the life this is what Christianity is this is why during Lent we focus on it so much this one man the God man focused on your salvation against Herod against the Pharisees and he walked to a higher drumbeat and his love for you made him bold to go toward Jerusalem where the prophets had said he was to be tortured and die and, and we catch him in the middle of the story saying to those who want to manipulate his life, I, I'm on my own agenda, and it's the agenda of love. And when you focus on it and you see it, it creates love and faith toward Christ. When you understand it was your salvation, you grow. You grow in your appreciation for his love.
There is another way, though, that I think people miss out on this, and it's not just that they don't think they need it. It's that they think they're too big of a sinner to receive it. We can, by, the, by what we judge is the enormity of our sin, or but what we judge is the frequency with which we sin, we often will think secretly in our hearts that doubt, we will think I'm too bad of a sinner or I'm too big of a sinner for me to be really included in that. And part of that comes from people that, that do know us have rejected us because of what they know about us. And we think, well, if I'm rejectable there, I certainly am rejectable before a holy God. Sometimes that's the reason. But often it's because we still have a higher opinion of our own opinion of ourselves than God's opinion. We listen to our own self-criticism and our own punitive self that wants to stand in judgment over ourselves that we don't want to believe the gospel is as big as it is. That the sacrifice was as wonderful as it really was. We have, in the face of our own guilt over our own sins, we have a little bitty Jesus. And what this story does in the next verses is help you see how big Jesus is for you and for all people because his heart for Herod and the Pharisees as Jews shows his heart for all big sinners. His love made him indiscriminate in the way that he saved humanity. This is, this is the challenging, unconscionable nature of the gospel. Jesus came to save all people. His saving work saved, it had the power to save Hitler, Stalin, Putin, Domner, Name a thousand others that are notorious in the news. There's room for them and there's room for you because these folks that he says the next few words about are murderous people. He says so in what he, in what he says it. So listen to what he says next. It's, it's fascinating that after he says, go tell that fox. Caleb, go to that next slide. In the... <laughs> In the middle of this conversation, imagine you're, you're talking to Jesus and he, he responds to you and says, you go tell that box, da, 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 da. And then he sort of, he doesn't step back, but in the words, he steps back from you and he says something that is large. Jerusalem. Remember, he's in Perea. He's 60 miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Remember, he just said he's a prophet, can't die outside of Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather you together like your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the passion of meaning the emotions, the compassion of the Christ. There is another time when he says these words. You remember? 
when he was coming in on Palm Sunday, just a few weeks after this, he says the exact same words while he's on that donkey up on the Mount of Olives looking down over the city. So when, a, when, a, when Jesus or a teacher in the, in the Bible does something like this where they use the paragraph in a conversation right here and then they say it again from a donkey looking over the city so that all can hear and the holy writer writes it down. This is like John 3.16 in the heart of Jesus Christ. This is huge. And who's he talking about? The murderous people who have murdered all of the prophets. He even when, um, during Holy Week, he told a parable about this, how God had a vineyard and he sent all these servants and they kept killing the servants. That, and finally he sent his son and then they killed his son too. He's got, Jesus has the resolute plan and desire to save his enemies while the enmity that they have is the way that they, what they would use to kill him. It's like the words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, coming out in this beautiful poetic statement that he makes here. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That's, that sounds, it's reminiscent of what David said of Absalom. Remember how Absalom, the bad son, was running David out of town and sleeping with his wives and doing all those things? And it was unconscionable to David's friends, Joab and others, that he would love Absalom. But he did. And he said, oh, Absalom, Absalom. When the guy came and told David that Absalom had died, he wept over Absalom the way he did over the baby of Bathsheba. That's unconscionable. David's like a little Christ. And here's Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Emotionally, for us who are watching the news, maybe to tap into that emotion and be like saying, oh, Russia, Russia. Right? You go, what? Right? Now, back to what I was saying for your soul. If you think you're too big a sinner or you've sinned too long, what does Jesus say? Oh, I love you. I want to gather you like a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. You say, but it's been, I've done it, I, I've repeated it too much. And he says, I, you, you think I'm too small. When I went down there in my resolute love, my love is big enough to cover all failures, all sins, as many as you can create. Psalm 130. If the Lord kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are loved and feared. Now, as we learn to embrace that love of Christ, therein lies the secret of how to replace our stony hearts with the same kind of bold love. Remember how I started with my own fears when I watched that report? It's like, could I do that for my country? None of us in and of ourselves is big enough to do the right thing in the face of the greatest loss. The power is not in us to do the right thing for the right reasons in the face of the greatest loss. The power is in God. And God wants to give that 
by his, through his gospel and his love, he wants to give us that power every day. So when weak sinners look at their own inability to have the will and to do the will of God, even if it means certain death, that would be the far out sacrifice today that we're thinking about and everything behind it. We go to God and look at his Christ. And as we look at his Christ, he replaces our stony hearts with his own heart. And when you're thinking, oh, I, okay, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying. I got to focus on Christ. Let me just kind of flesh it out for you. You spend time reading these stories about Jesus in the four gospels. When you feel weak in your own spirituality, in your own walk with God, you go and look at the Christ. You get into the Gospels and you read the stories. As you read them and you focus on the Christ, His Spirit, His, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, called both things in Scripture, it starts to come off the pages of those wor Holy Word of God into your soul. And when you're reading it and it's not happening because you don't feel it, that's when you listen to Jesus' words from the Gospels when He says, you pray, and the, the Lord will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You say, God, I'm not feeling the love. Now, if you're, uh, let me just real quickly, I'm about to finish here, say that on certain days you feel super empowered by that love of Christ, and you're able, you work through your problems with a person, and you're able to love them indiscriminately. And then a new problem comes up, or a new person, and it feels like you have to be, you're right back at the starting line. Right, And you have to work all the way through it again. It's not how many times you've had to do that. That's you trying to judge yourself and have a little bit of Jesus. It's that you draw near to the Christ right now in the present. And you, are, you have the right strategy, which is a Christ-centered strategy to, to fight your own stony heart. And you focus on the Christ. When you're focusing on the Christ and it's hard for you to get that power to love... That's when you pray. When you pray, you listen to the promise that says if you pray asking to, that the Holy Spirit would fill you with that love, you pray trusting that he will. It may, you may have to wait for it. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, but it will happen as you focus on the Christ. And I say all of this because right now we, we are thrust as a world and as Americans into this time where our whole understanding of grace and love and faith are challenged again by the, the evidence of war. Draw near to the Christ who drew near to love for you, who took all your sins away, who saved you for eternal life, and you'll find love in your heart that's indiscriminate. And now when I keep using the word indiscriminate, I want to make sure you understand what I mean. It's not just in a racial sense, but that's included. It's in every sense. Loving the person you're most irritated with in life, most disappointed, most hurt by, as much as you love the person that has given you the most warm fuzzies ever. Not discriminating but loving both your enemies as well as your friends and everybody in between. Because love makes you bold and it makes you indiscriminate. 
Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Hearts breaking, sadness, but not anger and hate. The love of God. It is ours. He gave it to us. We possess it. Our salvation is also our power to love people. Go and do it. Amen.